Today I'm going to be speaking on the love of God, just a very basic uh, teaching on the love of God that is so powerful and just such a great blessing to me and my family and everybody that I've shared it with. I've preached this many times, but I'm going to just share this with you again. And every time we share a very fundamental message we, and we go back to it, we find that as we have grown in our life and know more about the Lord, we just see the, the rudiments, the root, or when we're radical about the teaching, we see the basics of this just so clear and so powerful, and it just refreshes our lives. Now, I'm going to do that in this Sunday as well as next Sunday. So the next two Sundays are going to follow, be following on one another, and uh, we're going to talk about the love of God. These teachings will also be very good to share with people that you know have not heard the grace message at all. So these teachings is designed to just help us and encourage us again in the foundational teachings of the love of God, who God is as a person and how he reacts towards us, as well as helping people that has never heard the gospel uh, start to hear the gospel in a very simplistic, basic way where it really grabs their hearts. Now, when it comes to uh, studying theology, I would say to me, the dream for me is that the person who studies it would at least be this good of a theological student that he would, when you say word of God, Think of Jesus, for Jesus is the Word of God. John clearly says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word came and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld the very glory of God. We beheld the message that God is trying to portray and trying to bring forth in the earth. So, um, and what I want to say by that is, So many times when we study Bible, we think we're studying the Word of God. The Bible is, and let me put it this way, the Bible contains the Word of God, and the Bible brings forth the message of God, but every verse in the Bible, understood in its context, pointing to Jesus, is the Word of God. Because the Word is Jesus. The message that God wants to bring forth in the earth is Jesus. So if we teach on, if we want the word of God on finances, we're going to have to look at Jesus. If we want the word of God on God's view about uh, the law, we have to look at Jesus. If we want to look at what judgment is and vengeance, we have to look at Jesus. Jesus, when he walked on the earth, Jesus uh, and what his incarnation, his death, his burial, resurrection uh, meant, his ascension, what that meant and what it implies, as well as the attributes of God shown forth in the love of Jesus in how he dealt with sinners and dealt with people when he was upon the earth, how he dealt with the sick, how he felt about tax collectors, how he felt about the religious of that day. All those things point out to uh, points to Jesus and shows us God's message, the Word of God. So, if you want to be, a stu- if you want to study theology, and theology, you just say that in a simple way. Theology is just two words: theos and logos. Theos means God, logos means word, God's word. So, if you want to be a true student of theology, if you want to study God's word, study Jesus, for Jesus is the Word of God. If you go to Genesis 3 verse 2, you will see that the scripture that is actually Satan speaking. It is Satan talking to Eve. Genesis 3 verse 1 and 2, Satan talking to Eve. Now, are those two verses the word of God? I mean, was Satan's words recorded? Is that God's word? No, it is not God's word. It is the word of Satan recorded in a Bible called a scripture. And when we read that scripture and we read how God dealt with that and we see how it, how Jesus came and showed forth and explains all of that and what he's done for us, then we get to the word of God, what God actually wants to say. You know, when Jesus died, or start with the beginning, when God was incarnated into human flesh, 
it says something. It's got a message it carries. When uh, Jesus obeyed and loved on people and was baptized by John and walked upon the earth, it says something. There is a message behind that, and that is the Word of God. Uh, It is the message manifested. When Jesus died, there's a message in that for us. There's an implication. It means something. God is trying to say something, and it is the most explicit way of speech. It is His Word manifested. When Jesus rose again, when he appeared, when he said to them, touch my physical body after the resurrection, there's a message in that, a message for all of us. So when we look at the love of God and we want to look at the word of God, we need to realize that the word of God at the end of the day is the life of Jesus and what his life concludes. That is the word of God. So many times we take a Bible, we are so scared that, you know, when I read this Bible, Am I reading it correctly? Am I interpreting every verse correctly? And as I'm going to be talking about the love of God today, we might say, Bertie, is, is the way, the, the hermeneutical approach, the way you look at this scripture, is it correct? The best way to test any interpretation of scripture is, does your conclusion contradict the manifestation of that message of the, of the scriptures, which was Jesus himself. And many times we would teach God as an angry God and a, uh, a God that judge sinners and that would destroy the sinner. And the, but when we see Jesus come to the earth, we don't see that. And he was the express image of the Father. Express image means if you wanted to see, express image would basically work like this. If you look at an idol, And that idol, I mean, is a copy of the real God. He looks like the real God. The only difference would be this idol is dead and the real God is alive. Now, that word image also means idol uh, or God. The express God of God was Jesus. He was God in flesh. He, He couldn't portray the Father better than in Jesus. So Jesus came and he walked this earth. And he showed the love of the Father, and he showed who the Father really is. John chapter 1 verse 12 is explicit on that. It's clear. John comes and he says, no one has ever seen God. No one has ever seen the Father. But Jesus revealed him. Jesus explained him. You would see but. Some of the people in the Old Testament, they did see God. They saw the glory of God. They, they stood face to face with God. They saw God, and there are accounts of people that saw God in the Old Testament. But John comes and he says, no one has seen God. Now, what does he mean by that? He actually means, if you study the original language there, he says, no one really understood God. Moses saw God from behind. So he saw God. He can't say that he didn't see God. If you see somebody, even if it was from behind, you have seen him. But Moses didn't understand God. Uh, You know, because the way he dealt with the people was in a way that was contrary to what God revealed himself to be. Moses didn't really understand who God was. But Jesus did understand who the Father was, and he explained who the Father was. So if we're going to look at the love of God today... We're going to look at the love of God from the perspective of the Word of God. We're going to study the Word. We're going to look at Jesus himself and how he manifested the love of God. I just quickly, I don't have a slide for that now, but I want to quickly just uh, read the definition of love, which many of you would know very well. The definition of love is to be pleased with. So if we're going to look at the love of God, we're going to look at how pleased God is with man. We're going to look at how God is pleased with man. If we don't look at that, we're not looking at the love of God. And if you want the word on love, we have to look at Jesus, who is the word, and how he loved on people, and how he was pleased with people, and how he cared for people. For a start, you know, if we say love means to be pleased with, we find that God comes and he takes Peter... A fisherman, before he's done any good things, and he calls him to be his apostle. He he takes Matthew, a tax collector, rejected by all 
um, all Jews who was seen as the absolute enemy of Israel and the enemy of God. It takes a person who is defined by the people of that day and the laws of that day as the enemy of the Almighty and he says, you are my disciple and through you I will reach the world. Isn't that amazing? Matthew, it's amazing. We look at how God went and, uh, in Jesus and how love, love means to be, to be pleased with or content with and he was pleased with, I mean, he didn't feel that he couldn't go and go to Zacchaeus' house. He went to his house. Why? Because he loved him. Like the scripture says when he said to Zacchaeus, today I must uh, go to your house. That word must is, I've got the deepest urge in my heart. I cannot but do anything else. I want to go to your house and be good to you. That is amazing. Glory to God. It means uh, the affection of the mind excited by beauty and worth of any kind or by the qualities of an object which communicate pleasure sensually and intellectually. You know, so what it means is that we can find that God comes and He actually come and live amongst His people. And He comes, Jesus comes and He says in Matthew 6 verse 9, He says, when you pray, start this way. Pray, our Father. Now, my question is, can a person that's never accepted Jesus pray the Our Father? Or what should he pray? Or does God only become your Father once you have said a certain prayer? No, it's not you say the sinner's prayer, and after you've said the sinner's prayer, then you can pray the Our Father. No, Jesus came long before he died, Long before the sin of the world died in him, long before his resurrection, long before any of those things, he comes and he says, this is how I want you to pray. Pray, our Father which art in heaven. We might say, but that he said to the disciples, because maybe disciples had a certain way of salvation or a secret way to slip in, uh, uh, into the salvation plan even prior to the cross. Well, Jesus comes and he says to people that, that were just listening to him, crowds of people, thousands that were listening to him, he says, don't you know your heavenly father cares for the birds and how, they will, how will he not care for you? He says, if we that are of this earth or um, evil or law-based, the Bible says, if we give good gifts to our kids, how much more will your heavenly father? There he calls God, the father of people that's never even accepted Jesus, that's, a, that's just starting to learn about Jesus, that hasn't confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior or any of that. He says, God is your father. Man, isn't that amazing? By that I'm not saying everybody is saved. I'm just saying God is the father of all people and that we cannot relate to God in any other way but father. So your Christian relationship, when you start your prayer, you start with our Father. Our Father. So God wants you to know, don't start with our Master, our Lord, our Judge, the Righteous One. Any, start with our Father. Because the moment you say God is your Father, your heart is immediately, and I think that is the reason why Jesus also said that, uh, the moment you talk to somebody as a father, you immediately come from the perspective of, as he is, so am I, because I'm born from him. You come from the perspective of, I am an heir. You come from the perspective of uh, family logic, where you start to reason with God and talk to God from family logic. Yesterday, my son wanted to make a, a video recording and he uh, took one of my old cameras. He says, Dad, can I use this camera and can I use one of your microphones? I said, man, I've got some stuff there. Please use it. Why? How does he approach me? When he approached me, he, didn't, he approached me from the platform of Father. For he knows I love him. And he says, Dad, I know this is yours. But in his heart, he feels that he's got a right unto that equipment. That's just the way it is. I want to use one of those cameras to, one of the old cameras that I don't use anymore. I want to use one of those 
and can I use it? I mean, the camera is still in a very good condition. It's, it's a nice camera. Of course, son. You know, what's mine is yours. Please use it. Go and, and dad, I, I need this. You know what I did? I came and I put things together for him, help him set it up and everything so that he can use it. Now, if he must go to a camera shop, how would he approach the camera shop where you can rent stuff? You know, he would go and ask, what's the price? Because he, he doesn't come with our father to the camera shop. He comes to local businessmen, you know, to the, to the guy who runs the camera shop. So when we come to God, we don't come to God from the perspective of, a leg, a, a, of legalities, of laws, of a judicial system. We come in the comfort of the house, in the comfort of a home. It's a difference between a house and a home. God comes from the perspective of, you are in my home, and I want to speak to you, and I want to, I love you, and I care for you, and you are beautiful to me, and who you are excites my mind, and it, with, with pleasurable thoughts. Just practically, if my son made a recording, you know, or I think he did a, a rap video for someone, and if that is a success, man, I'm so happy for him. I want him to have success. I want him to do good. And I will, by whatever means I have, help him to have a successful life in this world, if we're just talking in a normal sense. Why? Because I am his father. So we, from that perspective, are going to study the love of God. Now, the first scripture we're going to look at is in 1 John 4, verse 8. 1 John 4, verse 8 to 12. Now, I'm going to take it verse by verse and explain the verses. It says there, He that loves not, knows not God, for God is love. Now, let me read that again. He that loves not, knows not God, for God is love. Let me explain that to you. When the scripture says, he that loves not, knows not God, for God is love. I remember when I read that years ago, that would condemn me so much. Because I would immediately think of all the passages, or not just passages, places in my life, and passages in the scriptures that I know where I'm not living in love. And I would think of how I didn't give uh, to the beggar, you know, at the shop. And I would think of how I was upset with my sister or my mom or dad or my friends or um, how I was maybe upset with my wife or my kids. You would think of those things and you would think, oh, you know, I'm not really living in love. I can really increase in how I love people. And as I think of that, what, what would happen is guilt would take a hold of my heart. Why? Because of this verse. This verse says, He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. And then I thought, well, I'll better start to love people that it might seem as if I know God. <laughs> That's not what it talks about. What he's saying here is that when we don't walk in love, we have not really experienced love. That's all he's trying to say. He's not trying to say that we must go and fake love so that we can think that we know love. That is not what he's talking about. He's not saying, give your things to the poor, and if you give your things to the poor, then you will know God. No, he says, if you know God, in other words, in how God has given to you, then you will be empowered by his love, knowing that his love is not just towards you, but exactly the same for all people, then that love will empower you to love others. So what he's saying here actually is that the love of God is so powerful that his love will produce fruit in your life. And let us see that scripture from that perspective. Jesus would never come and say, well, all you guys that don't live in love, I just want to say, shame on you for you don't know me. You haven't studied the scriptures enough. You haven't been with God enough and you don't know God. You're a God-denying person that doesn't know God and you're on your way to hell. That is not what that passage talks about and that is also not the spirit wherein that was said. What he's saying here is that we can expect from this love of God 
even the fruit of that love and the duplication of that love. You know, when we experience the love of God towards us, we feel how God loves us. We feel how, and we have to look into His eyes and we have to see the love in His eyes. If love is, I'm content with, then you need to look into the eyes of Jesus and see how content He is with you. You have to see how pleased He is with you. If love means an excitement of the mind uh, on account of beauty beheld, you need to see in the eyes of Jesus how He sees you as beautiful, how He sees you as worthy to die for and worthy to preserve that life forever. Jesus says that your life is so beautiful and so valuable that He wants to take everything that destroys and kills your life away from you and preserve that life forever. That is exactly what that is about. It is not about um, anything else than that. You know that when you were born, that innocent person that you were, you know that innocent person never lost his innocence? That innocent person maybe got hidden away under a lot of misconceptions and unbelief and fruit of the flesh and all those kind of things. But God says, I always see that person and I will take away what veils you. That's why the Bible says, by the reading of the law, there is a veil over our hearts. In other words, who you really are in your heart cannot come forth because it's veiled by the law. Because through the law is the experiential knowledge of sin. But in Christ, the veil is taken away and there would be experiential knowledge of what God intended and made in you from the beginning. Isn't that beautiful? When God comes to reveal and bring forth the real you and save that life forever. So when you read that, John, that verse in First John 8 verse 9 where it says that he, um, he who loves knows God. It, all that it wants to say is that the love of God is so powerful that it brings forth fruit in our lives. So I want to say to you, the love of God is not something weak. The love of God is something powerful. Uh, I've had folks say to me, Beth, you know, if you want to preach on the love of God, that's wonderful. But when are we moving over to some deeper stuff? Some things where we can expound the boundaries of who God is and go into the depths of God. I want to tell you, my friend, the deepest part of God is the love of God. There is no more, no deeper teaching than that. And today we're going to define what that love is. Right, I want to read verse 9. Verse 9 says, 1 John 4 verse 9 says, In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Let me read it again. In this was the love of God, the respect that God has for you, the contentment that God has when He looks at you, uh, towards us manifested, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live or have life through Him, here in His love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, let me explain those verses. <clears throat> when He says, in verse 9, that the love of God was manifested towards us because that God sent His only begotten Son to the world that we might live through Him. That is, I would say, a very difficult way of just saying this. If you want to know, herein is the love of God manifested. In other words, if you want to know what is the love of God, how should I know God loves me? Herein is the love of God. That God would give His Son so that we might have life through the Son, and now I want to add in to explain that passage, and not through our human ability and willpower. Okay? So God loves us so much that He says, Oh my goodness, I don't want them to have life by own human ability because it cannot preserve their lives forever. I'm going to give my Son, and through the giving of my Son... I will secure their lives forever, that they will have a seat in the Godhead in Christ, 
to live forever and never die and be preserved forever by the very doing of God. God says, this is how much I love men, that I by my doing will secure their lives forever. So their lives will not be secured by their own doing and their ability to keep the law. Isn't that absolutely beautiful? You say, but it does not written like that there. Well, in the next passage it says, herein is love, not that we loved God. In other words, herein is love. Herein is the manifestation of this life that is given for free. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and gave His Son as the sacrifice, or he was willing to give his son so that his son could help us be set free from what destroys us. This morning I did a funeral, um, and uh, when we did this funeral, it was, um, I mean, no funeral is a happy thing. People are sad because they're going to miss the loved one. And at this funeral I used this example, I said, When somebody's drowning out in the ocean, and it's out in the ocean, he's busy drowning, you don't find the lifesaver judging that person as guilty or not guilty. His judgment is, yes, the person is drowning. That's his judgment. His judgment is, the person is drowning. His decision is, his judgment is, that person where he's right there in that stream in the ocean, um, according to what he is doing and showing, shows signs of him losing his life. And the righteous thing to do, according to that judgment or that observation, would be to give your life and swim out into the ocean, grab that person who cannot swim by himself, um, and swim him out a safe place and save his life so this is this is the love of God explained in this um, in this analogy if you the lifesaver would look and say that person out there that's struggling like that what is that it's a human oh my goodness the moment you say it is a human It immediately means something. You behold his value. You behold his beauty. You behold his... (coughs) That is a person that is of the highest order of creation. It is a human being and human lives matter. And we want lives to be preserved. So when that lifesaver looks and he says, but that is a human. That is a person that's valuable to God and... even if we want to bring God in, that, that person is just valuable to humanity. So it's, it's worth risking your life to save that life. And he knows that person cannot swim. Was that person outside of the parameters? Maybe they didn't swim between those little flags they put on the beach. I don't know how it works in other countries, but South Africa they've got these flags, you know, and you need to swim between those two flags. Otherwise, if you swim any other place, there are very strong currents and those kind of things, and it's not safe there. Now, if that person swam outside of that, you will not find the lifesaver say, well, he's worthy of death. He deserves to die. So, uh, you know, um, if I want to save him, someone else must die so that I can save him. No, that would be absolute crazy thinking. The lifesavers say, well, he even if he was disobedient, I'm not going to impute that to him. I, his life is too valuable to see that he is going to die. And I will risk my life and give my life so that I, by my living, can cause him to live and not die out in the massive dangerous ocean. And that is what is written here. He's basically saying, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and was willing to say, I cannot see you die, and I'm willing to to give my son Jesus so that he can swim out into the ocean of sin and death and save us from that ocean. That is what he's talking about. Isn't that beautiful? And then verse 11 and 12, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, We ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time, for we love 
For if we love one another, God dwells in us and his life or love is perfected in us. And I've put in brackets there, God cannot be defined or seen outside of love. Verse 12 again, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. Okay, what is he saying there? He's saying that the only way you can see God is inside love. That's the only way you can see God. You cannot see God in anger. You can only see God in love. Uh, When we look at a judicial system of punishment, it's very difficult to see love in there. Ask anybody that's been to a court and was to pardon a court case. You will see that the court doesn't show mercy. The court doesn't show kindness. The, The court is impartial, not biased, looks at you basically as a thing, and the valuable thing in the court is not you, but the law. That's what's valuable. What is valued in the court of law is the law. That's valuable, and that is what is what would be preserved. That law of that court is not... I mean, obviously that law was put there to preserve lives, but the way we approach a court is... What does the law say? It's not what does value says. What does the law say? Now we can go deeper into this and say many different things about that, but you know what I talk about if you've had anything to do with the law. I remember uh, years ago, I had a, a motorbike and there was a friend of mine and he, he, uh, he was going through a very rough time financially and he lost his car and he needed transport. So I said to him, take my motorbike, you can use that. And as he took this bike and used it, he owed people money. And then they came, and uh, the sheriff came and went to his house, checked what is at his house, and wrote my bike up. And they came and they collected my bike for his debt. And it was so difficult to convince the court not to do that, because there were so many laws. They don't care how I got that bike. They don't care if I pray to the Lord and say, Lord, I want something like that, and how God organized it for me supernaturally to have that motorbike. They don't care on how I enjoyed that. They don't care how I saw it as a blessing from the Lord. They don't care if I loved the person and gave it to you. All they did was they said, well, we'd write that bike up, and we're going to sell it in auction to cover this debt, and then you can sue him again for the money. My goodness. And, you know, the lawyers, the, nobody felt anything. And when they released me was when they saw they could get money from something else. They released that and said, well, it wouldn't be fair to take that bike because it's it's so much more than what is actually owed. Um, It's just, it's kind of, you feel it's a wicked system. It's not love in there. So when we talk about the love of God, we, we cannot define the love of God or who God really is inside the parameters of a judicial system. We can only define the love of God or who God is inside love, in family logic. And that is why it says here, if we love one another, we see God. If we don't love one another, we're not seeing God. But if we love one another, we see God. If we see the value of each other, if we behold one another, and when you look at someone else, that beauty of that person brings, excites your mind. You're seeing who God really is. I don't say that that love that you manifest is God. I'm just saying, you want to see what God's like? That's what you look at. If you look at a, a guy that looks at his wife, uh, last night we had people come and visit us, and you can just see the way this guy's wife looks at her husband. You can see that absolute excitement of the mind on account of beauty and value beheld that is inside her. And when you see that, you're beholding God. You're beholding who the Father is. And why does he say that? He's saying that the only way we can ever define God is in love and in nothing else. Now, um, I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 13. And we're going to look at examples of this. And 
many of you, you've heard this before, but I'm going to go through this and just explain this. I'm going to go through some of that, and then the next Sunday, we're going to just recap and go to Matthew 5 and explain just the attributes of God's love. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Let's read together. It says, Though I speak with tongues of men of angels, and have not love or charity, I have become a sounding brass and a tingling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity or love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my good to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love or charity, I it profits me nothing. Now, when we look at those passages, it's so beautiful. And I love the fact that uh, King James English there uses the word charity. Charity actually talks about doing good to somebody. That's what it means. Uh, I'm not saying unless you've got a charitable organization and live in charity every day, you, you know, you are nothing. I'm not saying that. What I'm trying to explain here and what I'm going to show to you is that God is the Word and God is love. And if God is the Word and God is love, when we look at love, we look at God. And this scripture says that if God is basically, well, let me put, this is the way I interpret the scripture. 1 Corinthians clearly states there, although I can speak with tongue of men and of angels, and I am not charitable or loving, it says there that I am just empty and nothing. Now what that means is, God's ability as a supernatural being, although God can speak the language of men and of angels, if God is not a God that can exercise charity towards us, He's just empty, nothing God. That is it. Charity means, and I like the word charity there, because charity shows to me when you value somebody so much, when you pity him, when you love upon him, when you see his beauty and you feel the situation that he is in is not what he deserves, that doesn't belong to him, is not right, and you come and you want to alleviate his distress and you want to lift him out of his oppression and you want to bring justice to his life by giving him food or clothes or um, giving a place where he can have a good bath and just experience love. The way we thought about charity traditionally was from the perspective of if we are not giving people something then we will one day stand in front of God and we will have to deal with the fact that you know, God will say, why haven't you fed the poor? Why haven't you given to the poor? Why haven't you been kind to the poor? Because if you're not kind to the poor, and if you don't give to the poor, you have not fed me. That is basically what we uh, think of. And it brings guilt to our heart. But true charity doesn't come from a fear of going to hell, but a revelation of value. And that is what God did. God came and He came with a revelation of value. That's why John 3.16 so clearly says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And if God could not be a God that has got charity, but he's got all faith and he's got the ability to move mountains and he's got the ability to be on Mount Sinai and have the mountain shake and he's got fire coming out of him. If he cannot see the value of a being, if he cannot be a being that is moved from the perspective of let me uh, lift this person's distress, let me, I want him to be my friend, then he is nothing. That is what 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 states. It states that man or who, what a person is, is determined by the love that is inside his heart. Because that is the, that is the true eternal life of God, is the love of God. Then in verse 2, let us just read, read verse 2 together there. It says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries... And all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could 
remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. You see, God can be nothing if he could be this person that's got all knowledge and all mystery and all those kind of things and all faith. He is nothing. Meaning, the only thing that actually is, the only thing that fills is love. The only thing that makes you some, or, or that, that is true existence, is love. Why? Because God is love. So we cannot define love in some weird forms. Uh, you know, we've, we've defined love in so many weird forms. I think of people that would molest others and then say to the child that's molested, say, I love you. That's, what a weird form of love. You will find a father beating up a son, beating him to a pulp and say, it's because I love you. You find a husband beating a wife and say, it's because I love you. You find people taking things away and putting them in hard times and it's because I love you. Now the love of God is not defined in weirdness. The love of God is simply defined in giving you life. That's what it says. And remember the passage that we read, herein is the love of God. Not that we loved God. Herein is the eternal life that God wants you to have. Not in how much you love God, but that He loved you and that He was generous towards you, that He came and He exercised charity towards you, wherein He saw your value and said, where this person is, is not right. I, want, I don't want Him to be there. Yesterday, the day before, we drove behind the car, and this car was old, beaten up car, and was smoking, well, it was on Sunday, last Sunday, and was smoking, and at the traffic light, the car struggled to go, and died, kind of died in front of us, and you could see, I think it was a lady, trying just to keep this car going, and when we looked at that, my, the first thing Eliana did was, Father, we thank you so much, that you love these people, and thank you that you can... Um, that this uh, their situation can be better. Thank you that that blessing come to them. That was just a prayer that was inside her heart. And I know where that prayer comes from. Because we had cars like that in our life. We know what it is to be in the front, in the front at a traffic, uh, traffic light and that thing doesn't go. And people are behind, the, behind us getting frustrated. We know the pressure. And we just feel that's a human being in that car. There's, there's somebody in there that the Lord loves. And they are in a situation in this world and they need redemption from that. And that is who God is. And that is what he's saying here. God would be nothing if he couldn't be like that. What true existence, true life, true substance is this love of God. And this love of God gladly, joyfully has been exercised towards man in this way that man can have eternal life. You know what that means? It means eternal existence in the same quality of life. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. It also says here that uh, even if God would give stuff to the poor um, or anybody. If you could, would give stuff to the poor and though you would even give your body to be burned and do not have love, it will profit nothing. It will profit nothing. The only thing that is profitable is love. So if God wanted to have a profitable action of redemption towards us, he could not do it from a legalistic law point of view of a penalty substitution system, satisfactory system wherein his anger had to be satisfied. I mean, how can God be so angry with man, with man's sin, that he feels, I'm angry with man's sin, and I want to punish them, and but I also love them to save them from my wrath. That is not love. That is not love. It is a warped view of who God is, and even when we put that inside our Father, can you pray like that to your Father, to your Abba Father, saying, Father, I know I've wronged you, and 
um, I deserve that you kill me. In what, let me put it this way, what father-son relationship is it ever right for the father to kill the son? Selah. Selah means take a break and think a bit about that. In what father-son relationship would it ever be just that if the son disobey, that the father has got the right to kill the son to satisfy the justice of the father? Inside family logic, there is no such a thing as the justice of killing for disobedience. Only inside slavery. When we look at Adam, we find that Adam was not God's slave, but he was God's son. That's what the scripture says. If you take the genealogy from Jesus backwards, there's one place where it's recorded, the whole genealogy up to Adam is recorded, and it says there, and Adam the son of God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that absolutely beautiful? Now I'm just going to look at one more point and, uh, and we're going to end off for this service. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4, it says, and let us read together, Love has patience and is kind. Love is not envious and is not vain and is not puffed up. And let's read verse 5 as well. It does not behave indecently, does not seek her own, is not easily provoked and thinks no evil. Now, verse 4 there says that love, e- love has patience. Love has patience. So I want to say to you if, you, if you look at the Word of God, the Bible says that God is the Word, and the Bible also says that God is love. If you study the Word of God, you have to study the love of God, and the attribute of God's love is patience. Therefore, if you, if you look at your redemption plan and whatever con- conclusion you want to make about God, you have to look at God as a God that is patient. Patience means, you. it's, it's like my son, if he goes and plays field hockey or my other son when he uh, studies and the other one does video work, and gymnastics, and whatever he does, if, if they do that, I know what's in them. I know the qualities that's inside them. If my one son fails a subject in university, I'm not going to say, oh, what's wrong with you, you know, we, now we're taking you out of university, and we're telling the people that pay, pays your sponsorship, we tell them, no way, you know, you didn't pass it. No way, it's, we, we're patient. We're saying, son, is there anything that you need? What happened? Is it something you don't understand? Should, should, is the professor doing his work? You know, that teaches you. How many other kids failed? Because if the problem is on the university side, we're going to take it up. You know, that's, we want to, we, we're patient. We want to help him. We're there to assist him. If my son does gymnastics and he would pick that lady up and they must make a somersault or whatever, and he doesn't get it right the first time, what's he going to do? He's going to do it again. And do I, identif- do I find uh, his identity and who he is in how he can throw a girl in the air and have her make some assaults and those kind of things? Never. I just look at that is his dream... And what I want to see is I want to see his life come forth. If he's a gymnast inside him, I want to see that come forth. And I will do everything possible so that that gymnast can come forth. Isn't that glorious? That is absolutely awesome. That is how God is. The love of God is patient. The love of God doesn't fly off the handle. When you do something wrong, oh, yeah, he's done that wrong, so angels, remove your protection because he hasn't done this or hasn't done that. It's like when it comes to finances, imagine the protection of God is removed because you haven't given 10, 10% of your money. And now God says, you're a thief, you've taken my 
My goodness, no, the love of God is not like that. The love of God, in other words, the power of God to give, to give you life is patient. The power of God to give you life wherein He gave His Son so that you can live through His Son is patient. It continues to encourage. It continues to tell you, come on, you know, let me do it. Let me bring you forth. It's like a lifesaver out in the ocean. Do you think for a moment that the lifesaver out in the ocean, when he comes close to the guy that's struggling, he's not going to... He's going to be patient with that guy. He's going to calm him down. And he's going to say to him, listen, I want you to basically stop to sue him. I've got you. And he will have someone uh, or something distract that person so he can come in behind and grab him from behind and get control over that person's stress. And if that guy still tries to even kill the lifesaver, what would the lifesaver do? He would be patient. Because he knows that he is the only one that can save that person's life. But I want to end off with saying this. In conclusion, the love of God is the very person of God. It's the only way wherein God can ever be expressed is inside love. You cannot see God outside of love. And love is defined as how God saves your life and gives you life by excluding works righteousness in the equation where he gives you life. And the love of God cannot be expressed inside a system. I mean, what love is there in a family where it's just for the father to kill the son? No. Love can be in a family where the father says to the one brother, your other brother is dying, let us give our lives to save your brother. That can work. But family logic doesn't find a place where something ill-fitting is put on someone. It doesn't work that way. So I want to say to you that God really loves you. I want to end off by this. If you've never uh, spoken to people in a church in a church setup where the love of God from the perspective of the grace and the mercy of God has been shared with you, and you want to speak to... Uh, a pastor that can counsel you and help you from that perspective, please feel free to contact us. Just go to BertieBrits.com or DynamicMinistries.com and click on Web Church. Right there on Web Church, you will see what our Web Church is about and you will also find uh, links and contact information on how to contact uh, some of our internet pastors. Please do that and we would love to get to you and help you and assist you in sharing this love of God with you. Also make use of all the material we have. Go to our website. I've got books available um, under support. You will find there are books there, and that's for free, e-books that are for free, that you can grab a hold of and read this and just have your life encouraged. Thank you so much for watching, and then I will see you again next Sunday. God bless you.